All right, tonight, uh, good to have all these visitors here tonight. We've got eight, nine visitors. Man, what grade are you in? I would pump her up right now. I would just reward her. She can skip 10th grade and go right to 11th for that. <laughs> that was pretty good. So good to have all of you who came for her. Wonderful. Where are you guys at again? Raise your hand real high. All right, everybody. Uh, Let's uh, give them a hand, just welcome them, uh, thank them for doing such a good job coming, okay? Good, and then uh, I wonder, I just am curious, did anybody else come as a visitor for one of the school students or, or adults? If you're here visitor and maybe you weren't part of the group that won, but you don't mind, raise your hand real high and we're just glad to have you. Any visitors up in the balcony that came for any of these guys? Uh, okay, there's one there. There's one back here, has the guest, or two, good. And then anybody else who go down this way, you got a visitor? All right, good to have everybody here. And then anybody up here? With, okay, and then anyone down here? Okay, you two are visiting. All right, we're glad you came. How'd you hear about the meeting? So it's Saint Ned's side, and I think he has eight people. Eight people here. Now, who is he? Who's he? He's way in the back. Justin. And do you have eight people here? What's that? Seven. Well, that's pretty good too. Well, I tell you what, um, we don't have another book, but we could give you like maybe his pastor's car or something. <laughs> but uh, okay, we won't. But anyway, uh, I think that's awesome, and I think everybody who brought a visitor—that's awesome. But seven's pretty awesome. And where are the seven guests with you? Just raise your hand if you're his guest. Okay. Wow, we got a lot back here, and we got some up here. Good. Anybody else say, like that, that you brought a guest down here? All right. Well, any, oh, great, over here. This way. All right. I don't know who you're pointing at, but uh, all right. I guess you must be a guest over here. All right. All right. Thanks for coming. Everybody say hi. All right. Glad to have you. And so good to have everybody here. And thank you all for coming. Thank you, young people, for coming. And It's been a wonderful week. To God be the glory, great things he has done. Amen? Amen? All right. Now let's look in our Bibles tonight to Matthew 25 and verse 46. Matthew 25 and verse 46. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Again, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you use the word of God in our hearts again and remind us of truth that needs to motivate us. And Lord, we pray for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. When, when you hear the words forever, everlasting, eternal, and words like this, do you really think about what they mean? Now, I know that some things seem like they last forever. For instance, sitting in a dentist chair and having a dentist drilling on your teeth seems like it lasts forever, but it does eventually end. Being grounded for a week seems like it lasts forever, but it doesn't. Waiting to grow out a mohawk or a bad haircut. Now, people use the word forever very flippantly 
Um, some carpet salesmen might say this carpet will last you forever, and then you read the fine print, not guaranteed if you use it. <laughs> now, the greatest abuse throughout the word forever would be Hank the Hunk. Hank the Hunk goes cruising every Friday looking for his dream girl, and then he sees her, fluffy Felicia. And he says, Felicia, my dream, my snookins, my pokey, I will love you forever. And then the next week, Hank the Hunk meets Kate the Chunk. And he says, Katie, I will love you till the moon stops to shine, till the sea runs dry, till time stands still. I will love you forever. And then the next week, Hank the Hunk meets Stephanie Scarecrow. And then String Bean Jean. Now, when man says forever, we can't be sure that they mean forever. But when God says forever, he knows what he is saying. And he means exactly what he is saying. These shall go away, just like I'm saying it's immediate, to everlasting punishment. But the righteous to life eternal. And he knows exactly what he's meaning when he says those words. Now, as we look at this message tonight, we're going to look at the subject about eternity. And as we look at the subject, um, there's no subject more serious than the subject of eternity because we are going to spend an eternity either in heaven or in hell, and every human being that we come in contact with will be in heaven or in hell. And so we've got people here that need to make sure you're, you get saved because if you don't get saved, you don't go to heaven, and you do spend eternity in hell. And then we've got many people that are here that have got to get burdened uh, and to keep that burden to get it up again like we want it up again because there's a community that is on its way to heaven or to hell. And we stand between the dead and the living. So this evening, I'm going to speak on the subject of two eternities. Now, the first thing we're going to look at is the details about eternity. Now, everywhere, people are wondering about life after death. A man named Judge Rutherford published books saying that the dead are entirely unconscious. And now their group is called the Jehovah's Witnesses. There is a man named Andrew Carnegie who promised a million dollars to anybody who could prove to him there was life after death. The Seventh-day Adventists will teach that you go into a state of soul sleep. But the Bible teaches something different than that. It teaches that the moment that we die, we wake up in heaven or in hell. We stand before God for judgment, then we go to eternity in heaven or hell, and we're very much awake and very much aware of what is going on in our surroundings. Now, in order to understand what the Bible teaches, basically reminders to those who know and information to those who don't. Number one, you have a soul. Everyone has a soul. Genesis 2, 7. The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So you have a soul. Now, your soul cannot die. Matthew 10, 28. Fear not them which are able to kill the body, but not able to kill the soul. So somebody says, well, 
I don't like my life, I'll just kill myself. You can't do that, because if you die, you still live. And so life is never going to end. All right, you have a, uh, you, um, have a soul. Number two, your soul cannot die. That's why you want to make sure that you are prepared to live in heaven and not live in hell. But you will be alive after you die, according to this Bible. Now, you have a soul. Your soul can never be killed. When you die physically, your body goes to the grave. The body of every human being in this community will go to the grave. And their soul and your soul will return to God for judgment. Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And then have you ever wondered how if you die, if you float around a little bit like a ghost? You don't. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 1, if the earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, the body that you're living in, we have a building of God. And house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In other words, there's a body that is just waiting for your soul. And you will never float around like a ghost. Now, what is the body after death like? The Bible gives a little insight in Luke 16. In Luke 16, though, it's a story about a man who died and he went to hell. Let me read it to you, but I read it to you for the purpose of showing there's a body for people after they die. I Luke 16, beginning at verse 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen. I'll quote it to you. I got it memorized. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of swords, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died, was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom or heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. Now get it, and in hell he lift up his eyes being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, I am tormented in this flame. Now in that passage we get an idea what the body is like after death. A person will be able to see. For instance, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham from a distance. Now, in life after death, think about what you will be seeing. You will be able to see. Now, imagine what it must be like for people that do not go to heaven and they do go to hell and what they see. Now, this man is in hell. He lifts up his eyes and he sees. No one likes to see terrible things. And hell would be a terrible thing to see. I was in Anna, Illinois on vacation, um, and a friend of mine brought me an article about a woman who had earlier that week seen her husband commit suicide. He was on a motorcycle, and he took off his helmet, laid it on the ground, and said, Honey, watch this. He revved up his motorcycle. She didn't know what he was going to do. He picked up speed. And he went faster and faster, and it's going right toward a hospital brick wall. She's wondering, what is he going to do? And he kept up the speed, picked up the speed. And she soon found out he was committing suicide, and he wanted her to see it. And so he smashed that motorcycle right into the brick wall at a high speed, and he splattered his body on the wall, and his body fell backwards, broken and dead. Now, the woman who saw her husband commit suicide mind snapped 
and she went crazy. And they put her in a mental institution because of what she saw. Now, what would it be like to see a demon? Not in some R-rated movie, but in reality. What would it be like to see all the horrors of hell, whatever they are, we know they're not pretty, and nobody likes to see terrible things, and to never be able to get away from seeing those things. This is serious business. Now, in the body after death, a person can also hear. There was a conversation between the man in hell and Abraham. No one likes to hear terrible things. I took emergency medical training years ago, and I was trained to work in the back of an ambulance, and in part of my training, they brought me to the Greenville Memorial Emergency Room. They brought in a man who was in a knife fight. He was stabbed in his back, stabbed in his skull. You could see the bone. He was stabbed in his back, so you could put two fingers right in a hole in his back. You'd go right into his lung. And while we were working on him, the paramedics and those in the emergency room cut a hole in the side of him, and they stuck a tube in. And they had to drain the chest cavity because it was filling with fluids. Now, I'm seeing this and that, and I've never seen these things, and they're horrible things. But I handled all the cutting and bleeding. But what got to me in that emergency room was a woman they brought in with a broken hip. Now, her life was not in danger. She was just in a lot of pain. So as she was in there, the doctors just simply pulled a curtain between us and her so that she wouldn't have to see all the cutting and the bleeding. So then everybody went back to this man who was about to die and wanted to keep him alive and figured they'd help her later. But the whole time we were working with this man, the lady with the broken hip kept screaming, Doctor, I'm in pain. Doctor, I'm in pain. Give me some relief from the pain. And her screams made me nauseated. Now, without any exaggeration, I know we're talking about a very serious thing, not a pretty thing. But would there be screaming in hell? Of course. And the screams in hell, when people are suffering, if they could hear Abraham and Abraham could hear him, there's no doubt in my mind, a body after death has capability of hearing. And what will it be like to be able to hear people screaming and the screams get louder as more people die without Jesus? Now, in the body after death, a person will be able to feel. He said, I am tormented in the flame. Now, we all know, and we're not going to linger here and just be down all night with dark things, but we all know that the worst way a man could die would be to die by flames. You could tell me stories. I could tell you stories. I was in Heath, Ohio, and a friend, a patrolman, said, I got a story you can use all over. He said, one day I was on the patrol. I got a call on the interstate, and there was a man who was driving a fuel tanker, and he was pinned in. And as I tried to get him out, I saw leaking fuel and I saw a fire in the engine. I knew that spelled an explosion and my instinct kicked in. I turned and I ran. An explosion came. I felt the explosions blast into my back as it knocked me down. And then I looked back and I saw this whole thing engulfed. And the man was still alive inside, pinned in. I tried to run in. I couldn't get in. He was still pinned in. And I don't mean to bring up bad thoughts for you folk if you've gone through that. But I am saying this. He looked at me and he said I was, he was in so much pain that he looked at me being a patrolman and he screamed at the top of his lungs, Shoot me! Shoot me! Shoot me! He said I grabbed my revolver, aimed it, was going to pull the trigger, but I just couldn't put a man who is innocent, put a bullet into him. 
And so he said, all I could do was watch that innocent man suffer because there's nothing I could do. Now, the sad thing is to be in so much pain that you wish you could die, but you can't. And the sad thing is, in hell, if he is not saved, he's in hell and he's still burning. And he's still in pain. And he can scream, but it's not going to end. Now, in the body after death, the person can see. No one likes to see terrible things. He can hear. No one likes to hear terrible things. He can feel. No one likes to feel pain. But what makes you think you can't taste and smell if you can do the other things? And I'm telling you, tasting and smelling in hell would not be nice. Now, I am saying this for this reason. There is maybe somebody here tonight that you've never gotten saved and you need somebody just to talk straight with you but not over the top with you. I'm trying to talk straight to you. You are in danger. If you die without Jesus, the Bible says you die in your sin. The Bible says that you end up in hell. And so there's a way out, and that is to be saved from your sin by, by faith in Jesus Christ. But also we as believers need to be motivated again and again and again. The souls of men are at stake, and we do not have time to do nothing. Because when it's over, it's over, and these souls are that important that we've got to stay focused on the mission. Now, why did God create a body for people after death? Is it because he wants to see people suffer? No. He created the body originally so that people, when they die, could see the beauty of heaven, hear the sounds of the angels singing, enjoy heaven, is what I'm saying, smell the beautiful fragrances, taste the fruits of heaven. But the body that God created so that man could be blessed in heaven because sin came, death came, and so the body that was intended to be given pleasure in heaven is going to be used to give torment in hell depending on if men get rescued from their sin. All right, now number one, the condition of the dead is you still live after you die. And you are alive and alert except you are either in torment or you are in, in pleasure. It depends on if you are saved, and it depends on if they get saved. Now, the second thing I want to draw attention to is the destinations for eternity. The destinations for eternity. So many things that we could preach about, but one thing that is still the priority is that we have got to keep moving as a church and not get discouraged and quit. We have got to have people going out again and continuing to go out again. We've got to keep the vision and keep the commitment to the needs. Now, the destination for eternity. Matthew 25 and verse 46, our text. These shall go away to everlasting punishment, that's hell, but the righteous to life eternal, that's heaven. Now, notice something. There's not one mention, listen, not one mention of purgatory. So listen, if you're thinking that for some reason you've got a second chance, I'm not trying to mock you, I'm not trying to argue with you, I'm asking you just look in the Bible and just, just throw away that hope of purgatory because it's not mentioned in the Bible. And the reason you have to throw that away is because 
if you're hoping that maybe if you don't get it right now, when you die, you'll have a second chance, you won't. It is appointed unto men once to die, after this, the judgment. So you've got to know before you die, because you don't get a purgatory, there is no such thing. But here's what it does teach. It says there's everlasting punishment, that's hell, and then there's life eternal, that is heaven. Now, I like to talk about the positive first, heaven. Now, one lady said to me, you've never been to heaven. How do you know it's a real place? And I said to her, Melody, have you ever been in my house? She said, no. I said, then how do you know my house is a real place? I said, now, just because you haven't been somewhere doesn't mean it's not real, and you've never been to heaven either if I have, that doesn't mean it's not real. Now, we base this on credible reasons. Jesus said it's real. Jesus said, behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And he even added this, if it were not so, I would have told you. And Jesus never lied. Now then we read in the Bible, it is a place and then we read in the scripture what it is like. In Revelation 21, in verse 11, talking of the New Jerusalem, it says there are uh, um, jasper stones clear as crystal, and what we would call them would be diamond. In fact, take your Bibles and turn to Revelation 21. All right, Revelation 21 talks about the New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, and it's one little city in heaven, just like Ocala is one city in all of Florida. Now, Ocala is definitely the best city in Florida. Amen? But anyway, it's only one part of Florida. There are other places in Florida. There are beaches. There are other places in Florida. There are um, other places that are beautiful. But the thing is, this is only one part of heaven, and there's so much more in heaven. But this gives us an idea what, the heaven, what heaven is like. All right, now first, I want you to notice that it says in verse 10, He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, that's heaven, descending down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. So that clear as crystal, I heard some preachers say that this jasper stone is probably referring to diamond thus clear as crystal. And I think he's probably right. Now then, and then it says in verse 16 how big heaven is. It's 12,000 furlongs high, wide, and long. That would be 1,500 miles high, wide, and long. Now that's just one city. Now somebody has asked, is heaven going to get crowded? I don't know how the preacher calculated this, but he calculated if everybody would ever live since Adam and Eve were to die and go to heaven, everybody would have 72 square miles to their own property. Now does that sound like heaven's going to be crowded? It's going to be huge. And that's only one city with those dimensions. And then in verse 18, it says again, diamond or jasper walls. In verse 19, it says there are 12 different kinds of jewels in heaven that garnish the walls. And then it says in verse 21 that the gates are made out of pearl, the streets are made out of gold. In verse 22, it says there's no need for a temple. Why? 
because Jesus is there and you'll be able to talk face to face with Him. And then it goes on in Revelation 22. Let's look at verse 1. And He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now some men have wondered, is there going to be fishing in heaven? Anybody ever wonder that? Well, the answer is, there's going to be a river. Now, we don't know what's going to be in the river, but likely there'll be fish in the river. And we know that there are some men here that would never be happy if there wasn't fishing in heaven. So we definitely don't know that there is a river. Now, there is the crystal diamond walls. There are 12,000 furlongs this way, this way, this way, huge. 12 different kinds of jewels, and they're all stacked up, and light shining through them, they're going to be beautiful to look at. Gates made out of pearl, streets made out of gold. That's what the Bible teaches, that's what it is. And then there's no need for a temple, Jesus is there, and now a river runs through the city. And what is on both sides of the river in verse 2 and 3? In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, and it bare twelve manner of fruits, and it yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, how many of you, your favorite fruit would be apple? How about pears? How about oranges? How about cherries? Whatever your favorite fruit is, you could go up to a tree of life, and you could pick you an apple. And it's right by the river, so then you could take a bite out of it, and then throw it in the river when you're done. Then you reach up on the same tree and you pick you an orange. And then a different branch and you pick you some cherries. Now the trees in heaven bear 12 kinds of fruit. Now, 12 different kinds of fruit, a river, and the body is incapable of feeling any pain. And Jesus is there and you're with your loved ones who have been saved and heaven is a wonderful place, filled with glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. Now, some people are afraid to die. And I'm going to tell you that if you make sure you're going to go to heaven, you won't have anything to be fearing. But what about people that don't go to heaven? Do they have something to be afraid about? Instead of going to heaven, the Bible teaches that you would go to hell. And God doesn't want that, and we don't want it, but the Bible teaches these shall go away into everlasting punishment. Now, one man said, few educated people today believe in the fires of hell. That old doctrine is dying. It came out of the medieval times. It didn't come out of the medieval times. Jesus spoke about hell long before the medieval times. It came from the Bible that teaches us there is a hell, and Jesus himself said it was there. So don't take it lightly. If you don't know you're going to go to heaven, don't take it lightly. Because if you take that thing lightly, you will, and I don't mean this in a like jab way, I mean it because it's a reality, you will find out there's a hell. Because if you die without Jesus, the Bible says you will go to hell. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God 
hath not life. So unless you have Jesus, you do not get eternal life, you end up going to hell. Now, what is hell like? Hell, like heaven, is a place. So, Jesus said that hell is a place. It talked about the rich man, and he said, In hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. Hell has fire. Luke 16, 24, Jesus said it has fire. As he quoted that rich man, he said, I am tormented in this flame. Hell has brimstone. Revelation 19, 20. These both were cast into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. Now, what is brimstone? The Bible doesn't say but if you look inside of a volcano, you'll see lava. Where does lava come from? Center of the earth. Where is hell supposed to be? Center of the earth. I contend to you that if lava comes from the center of the earth and hell is in the center of the earth, that brimstone might very well be hot seething lava. Now, can you imagine swimming around in a lake of lava but not dying? If the Bible's right, that's what it is. And the Bible's right. And then it says it's everlasting. Matthew 25, 41. Depart from me, cursed into everlasting fire. In other words, you burn and you burn and you burn and you never die. How many of you knew that there are two hells? Well, there are two hells. Revelation 20, verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Get it? Hell is cast into the lake of fire. That means hell and the lake of fire are two different things. They are. The first hell is so bad, you can see, hear, feel, taste, and smell. And everything we've described. But the second hell, the lake of fire, is so bad that I don't believe anybody's been there yet. I don't believe the devil's even been there. But I do know that one day those who are dying and night now go to die, they go to hell if they're not saved. You'd go to hell if you're not forgiven. They'd go to hell if they're not forgiven. But then, the judgment comes called the great white throne judgment. In the Bible, in Revelation 20, everybody's brought up who's not a Christian and doesn't get saved or won't get saved, will reject getting saved. Honestly, it says Romans 2.5, According to the hardness, treasureth up wrath to thyself against the day of wrath. In other words, if I treasure up baseball cards, I'm collecting baseball cards. If I treasure up gold, I'm collecting gold. If I treasure up wrath, I'm collecting more wrath. And if you have a chance to get saved and you don't, I am pleading you to reconsider, honestly, because you will, wrath will be a whole lot hotter for you if you get a chance to be saved, but you don't. And every sin an unsaved person commits will add to their wrath in the final hell, the lake of fire. Right. Now, just imagine one minute you're at work, the second later you die. It's going to happen sometime. And immediately you're taken by beautiful angels and you see the brightness of God on the throne. Now, when you get to heaven... There are a number of things that you're going to see as you go toward the throne of God and you get to be in His presence. I don't know if it'll be immediate, but I do imagine this in my mind. It will be quickly. It may be immediately. I don't know how God's going to do it. But I do know there are lots of beautiful things in heaven for you to take in. So just imagine with me. When you die, immediately you, sh 
you die, and you take my beautiful angels, and you see those pearly gates. Now, have you ever heard somebody say, I thought I died and gone to heaven? When you see pearly gates, you're going to know, oh, I guess this is heaven. And then you go in, and immediately you realize something's different. Beautiful. Beautiful. Where am I? And you see all this beauty, and you're amazed by its beauty. And then immediately you're welcomed by old friends, and they are people you knew who died before. And then you go, I am in heaven. And they go, welcome home, welcome home. You ought to see the beautiful place Jesus made for you. It's right down this gold street. There by the river on the diamond wall. And you go toward that gold street down this way, and you see your mansion, and you say, beautiful, beautiful. Is that really for me? They say, yes, Jesus made it for you. And then they take you to Jesus, and for the first time in your life, you stand in front of Jesus and get it. He talks to you. And you talk to him. When we get saved, we are the children of God. But then when we get saved, we walk with God and we talk with God. And we have this communion with God. But it's not going to be like face-to-face -face communion when we get to heaven with God. But we will get there and we will see him face-to-face. -face and enjoy being in the presence of God. Now you're done with sin in a body incapable of feeling any pain. Do you realize when you're in heaven, you'd be able to stick your thumb out, hit it with a hammer, and it wouldn't even hurt? Be kind of fun, wouldn't it? You're surrounded by the tree with 12 kinds of fruit. You see the beautiful river and the mansion, and then you're in the presence of Christ, done with sin, no wicked people to hurt you, no more pain. Stop. Now, imagine... And preach yourself this message. You're at work one day, and one second you die. It's going to happen sometime. Only this time you're immediately shot through with piercing pain. Burning is the worst pain known to man. You wait to die, but you don't die. Time passes so slowly. Or does time pass? Seems like there's no end to what you're experiencing. Then you realize, I'm in hell. Now, I wonder what goes through a guy's mind about five seconds after he is dead and in hell. He understands death does not end at all. He understands that God is holding him accountable after all for his sin, and he understands that he has no hope. So as he is burning and he finally realizes he's in hell, you in hell, you realize that you scream, someone help me, someone help me. Nobody hears you, nobody will hear you. You're in hell, you just burn and you burn and you never die. I have a friend, spent two years in jail, and he says, you don't know what it's like. You wake up and you roll over and you see those cold steel bars and you think, I'm still here. Then you wake up the next day and you see those cold jail bars and you think, I'm still here. Listen, a hundred years later in hell, you'd be screaming, I'm still here. 10,000 years later in hell, I'm still here. And then at one juncture, an angel reaches down and he takes you out of that terrible place and he brings you to a beautiful place you've never been. You are brought to the brightness of Jesus on the throne. And you think, well, maybe I've suffered enough. Maybe now I can get forgiveness for my sins. 
but you're not given a chance to speak. God says, and we're just imagining, imagining, God says, pull out a record of his sins. So they pull out the records. Did you know that God has a book where he writes down every sin that a man does? Do you know that God has a book that he writes down every time somebody honestly rejects Jesus? And it adds to your wrath account. So they begin to read every time you lied, every time you lusted, every time you looked at something that is pornography, every time you had an affair, every time you had fornication, every time you did some kind of sin, every time you were disrespectful when you were a child and a teenager, every time you were rebellious, and God pulls them out and says, read it. Read me the record of his sins. And they keep reading him and reading him, and you realize you're not there to give forgiveness. You're there to receive the degree of punishment that you're going to face in the final hell, the lake of fire. And then when it's done, God says, depart from me into everlasting punishment, prepared for the devil and his angels. And an angel picks you up by the nap in the neck, and he brings you to the final hell, the lake of fire. You think it can't be any worse than the first hell, but your first glance says it is. And so he lifts you up, and you try to fight away, but he's too powerful. And with a mighty arm, he lifts you, and he casts you into the pit. Immediately, you're shot through with piercing pain. Burning is the worst pain known to man. And this time, you're in total darkness. The Bible says there's no light in the pit. No light in the lake of fire. And this time you are falling. The Bible says it is bottomless. So you burn and you fall and you burn and you fall and you literally experience a devil's hell. Now, do you know what a lost person has when he dies? Absolutely no hope. When it's over, it is over. Now, how is it all determined for you here tonight? How is it all determined for people in this community? This is the gospel by which you are saved. Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, and was buried and rose again the third day according to the scripture. This is the gospel by which you are saved. And the only thing that saves you here tonight is the gospel Jesus saves. And the only thing that will save the community if they hear the gospel and receive the gospel Jesus saves. And the only way they're going to hear the gospel is by us. It's not going to be aired on television much. It's not going to be done by the unsaved. It's going to have to be done by God's people who know the gospel message. Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again. This is the God by which you're saved. Actually doing it. And so we've got to get back at it. Those who are at it have to stay at it, but I fear we have to get back at it.
because it's so easy to go up and down and up and down, get committed and fall away. By the way, that happens. But God says that we rise up again. And the reason we have revival meetings is because as we start in the beginning of the week, we need revival, we need a spiritual awakening, and what is revival? It's when our relationship with God gets fixed. We draw to God. God draws to us. That's revival. And when our relationship with God gets fixed, that's revival. But part of revival is that we get burdened about the work of God again, too. Now, if you cannot remember the last time you ever tried to win someone to Christ, you need your backslidden. You need to get fired up again. If you can do visitation, let's do it. If you can go up to somebody and have enough courage to give them a track, swallow hard and do it. Because there is only one life that we live, and when this life is over, it's over. Not just for them, it's for us. And when I die, I want to, if I live to be 30 more years, which if God gives me 30 more years, I am praying, and I am not being sensational, I'm praying that I'll see more people saved in the next 30 years than I ever saw in the first. I got a number on my heart, and I'm praying that God will help me to reach that, and you'd say it's impossible. And I'm going to tell you, the number on my heart, they saw God do it 100 years ago. And if God could do it 100 years ago, God could do it today. But it's not going to happen if we just casually say, yeah, people need to go soul winning and never do it. So let's get up and rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin in the grave, weep over the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is still merciful, and Jesus still will save. I closed with this years ago, and this is an application either to you, if you don't know you're going to heaven, and you want to go to heaven, I'm going to tell you how you go to heaven. This is an application. If you already know you're going to heaven, I'm going to tell you what you and I need to be doing, what you need to be doing. Years ago, there was a sailor, and he was working on a ship. There was a terror in the mast, and he climbed up to sew that tear in the sail, and he tried to fix that tear in the sail, but a big wave came, and it hit the side of the ship. And it catapulted the ship sideways. And when it rocked it sideways, it shot the man off the top of the sail and shot him over and into the water. Somebody saw him fall and hollered, Man overboard! Man overboard! And somebody else saw him and threw a lifeline to him. He grabbed it and he was pulled into safety. So when they brought him in, they laid him down on the deck and he was still holding the rope and he wouldn't let go. And then, true story, the captain came up and he saw all the commotion. He said, what happened? Man fell over, sir, but he's fine, sir. He's over here, sir. So the captain went to observe what was happening and he saw the sailor on the ground holding the rope and he said, uh, well, he's safe now. Let's go because things had to be done. But he said, sir, he won't let go of the rope. And he said, let go of the rope. And he wouldn't let go. He just stared into the sky. He was probably in a state of shock, as you can imagine. And so then the captain, realizing he was probably in a state of shock, got down on the knee and he cupped his hand and he said, Sailor, let go of the rope. Still no response. 
you don't just ignore a captain. So then the captain gets down lower and he says, Sailor, this is your captain speaking. I order you, let go of the rope. And that shocked him out of his days, I guess. And so he finally could pull himself together, holding the rope. He turned his head and he says, Sir, I can't let go. I can't let go. He said, let go, I order you. He said, I can't let go. He said, I grabbed it for my life. I can't let go. Now, how many of you have ever had a cramp in your leg and you can't straighten it? Anybody ever work with your fingers and then they cramp up and you got to kind of pull them out? Well, when he was drowning, he grabbed that rope with such intensity, holding on because the water was going to wash him off. The, wa the waves could wa wash him off that rope. He had to hold on to get through the waves. And while they're pulling him, the water has gotten his clothes all saturated and the weight would pull him off with gravity. And so they pull him out of the water and then he's suspended in the air with all that weight on him. The waves knocking him and he's holding on and holding on. And then finally they get him up and in. But by the time they got him up and in, holding on for dear life that long, his muscles cramped. And he could not let go. Now, what if he had not held on to that? He would have died. Now, the lifeline is Jesus Christ. And you have to grab him. And also, if what I said is true, and it is, uh, how many would agree that we do need a revival about evangelism, whether it be in church visitation, organized church visitation, or just on our own. Getting burdened for souls again, praying for souls again, and calling them on the phone again, loving them again, enough that they think we really do care, because then we really do care. And going after the souls of men, praying for them like we used to, going after them like we used to, how many think we need revival in the area of evangelistic effort again. All right, so the only way this will happen where people get saved, what I'm preaching is, is the lifeline is Jesus, you better grab him, but I'm also teaching this. If what we're reading is true, the most important thing that we have to do is throwing out the lifeline. So we cannot stop and get lax because the most important need in the world is that people get to Jesus. Amen. Now, let's have a revival, not a revival meeting. Like Pastor Friedman, I don't know what he's going to preach on Sunday, but I hope you come in with two ears open and a mind and a heart open. I don't know how many times you've heard a message on heaven and hell. I know... Um, I know I've preached this message here before on heaven and hell. I know that. But I know it's the same truth today as it was the first time Matthew 25, 46 was ever preached by anybody. And we've got to keep on throwing out the lifeline and not talking about it. Now, how many of you know somebody right now that you are burdened for in light of the message that needs to be saved, would you lift up a hand if you have someone on your heart? Okay. And then I will challenge us all, don't beat yourself. I'm talking to a bunch of very faithful, faithful Christians for the most part. 
But I am saying that this is a great group of people, a great group of people. Christian love can never die. Follow me? Christian love for each other can never die. Can't ever let it die. And also what can never die is your zeal for evangelism. Just always think one more. And especially people that you know and that you love. Let's have a word of prayer.